You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Our God and Heavenly Father, we pray that we would know you as the God who is the King of the universe. And in your hands you hold us. And Lord, that we pray that we would know that not only in our hearts, but that it would manifest itself in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I draw your attention this morning to our uh, reading from Jeremiah there on page 3 in your worship bulletin. Uh, Jeremiah can be a tough book to unpack, and you're probably familiar with the more poetic uh, bits and pieces of Jeremiah, uh, including this one, which is a really wonderful passage. Uh, But uh, I really want us to dig in, especially to look at verse 5 this morning. But the background of Jeremiah is this. If you had your Bibles, uh, if you have your Bibles with you, you can see this in the first three verses where Jeremiah is put into context. And Jeremiah spends uh, over 40 years prophesying in the kingdom of Judah. Of course, it's divided at this point between Judah and Israel. And uh, Judah is about to be overthrown and the capital of Jerusalem taken. And all of this is a result of a terrible king named Manasseh. Uh, a good name for a dog, a bad name for a king. Uh, Manasseh was a terrible, terrible king. Anything that he could have done wrong, he did it, uh, even to the point of uh, sacrificing children. Uh, in fact, the only archaeological evidence that we have of uh, Manasseh's existence is there's a tablet that you can go see in which Manasseh commits to worshiping Asheroth, the god of the Assyrians. That's, that's how you can remember him. Uh, they had given himself over to uh, pagan worship, and that really plagued uh, Judah until his grandson, Josiah, comes along, even as a young boy, and begins to institute these reforms. And they, it's, there's a funny bit that says that they'd actually lost the Bible. And somebody just kind of randomly found it and said, hey, is this important? Should should we take note of this? And they began to read it to the people. And so there was a sort of revival. But Jeremiah is given a word to preach to the people of Judah that even in the midst of this revival, that Jerusalem's going to be overthrown and you're going to be taken into captivity. And so when you read in verse 3 that he preached until until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month, that's like reading about... He preached until the captivity of the United States of America in the fifth month. Can you possibly imagine our country being taken captive? Neither did they. Uh, This was something that was far off that they couldn't possibly imagine, that the freedoms that uh, they enjoyed and the freedoms that we enjoy would be taken away from us. And yet that's exactly what's going to happen to the people of Judah. And so uh, with something like that, and any time we encounter a crisis in uh, our, our own nation and in our own lives, it's right for people who aren't even Christians to ask the question, what is God up to? Where is God in the midst of all of this? Where is God in the midst of a financial downturn? Uh, where is it, it actually is very funny over in England. It hasn't happened yet. Uh, but every once in a while you'll read about uh, the head of Lloyd's of London or somebody like that going to meet with the Archbishop of Canterbury. And it's almost like visiting the Witch of Endor for them. Like they're just kind of going to see, like, what do you think the future holds when it comes to my investing? 
And so in the same way, there were people who were asking, where is God in the midst uh, of what we're heading to in the captivity of Jerusalem? And so God has raised up Jeremiah. He's also raised up Josiah, but Jeremiah is the focus of our attention today, where he says in verse 5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. This is what God is up to. Now, Jeremiah is a particular individual. And normally when someone is called into any kind of full-time ministry, they're asked to tell, you, tell us how you came to know the Lord. Tell us your Christian story. Give us your testimony. And then at what point in your life did you decide to consecrate your life to the Lord Jesus? For me, I remember very vividly, it was on a weekend retreat where I determined at that point I was going to give my life over to full-time ministry. I was 16 years old when it happened. And so when I got to college and uh, people would ask what I was going to do when I grew up, you know, I I said, I'm just going to be a full-time gospel minister, which didn't do a lot for my dating career. Uh, So by my third year of college, I just said I was pre-law. And then I went before a selection committee in the Diocese of South Carolina, and we talked about all of this stuff, and they said, we feel like you ought to go off to theological college, and off I went, and then they ordained me. And so when I came here to the Advent, my prerequisite, why should we hire you? One of those is that I was rightfully and I was duly ordained. So I talked about my conversion, my consecration, and my being chosen. But notice here that that's not Jeremiah's testimony. These are not on the lips of Jeremiah, but on God's lips. Jeremiah's testimony is, well, before I was formed, God called me. He chose me. He consecrated me before I was born. And he's made me a prophet to the nations. I didn't have a choice. But before I even existed, God had a plan for my life that knowing that we were going to be taken into captivity and Jerusalem was going to fall, God had me in mind to preach to the people of Judah. Now, that's a remarkable testimony. But what this tells me, and I hope it says to you as well, is that in the things of God... There is no room for panic. It is a mark of Christians that they don't panic. And so when unemployment comes, when sickness comes, when it seems that the church is falling to pieces, when it seems like our nation is going completely off the rails, it is the Christian who does not panic because if they know their Bible... And this is not an obscure passage here, but one whose emphasis is throughout the word. We know that there are no contingency plans in heaven. It's not as if, you know, things are going bad in Judah when they seem to be going really well. And so uh, God in the White House of heaven calls the archangel Gabriel, who's his secretary of state, and says, look, I'm going to have to let you go for mismanaging this situation in Judah. Uh, We're going to have to form some sort of select government committee to sort all this out. Uh, And I'm going to have to call a new heavenly secretary of state to set things to right. Never, ever 
Has that happened, nor will it happen in heaven. It's human of us to respond with anxiety because we don't know what the future holds. But as Christians, we know who holds the future. And in him, all is known. It turns out that the hero of our passage is not Jeremiah, but the word of God. Uh, Just in these verses this morning, in the preceding verses, verse 2, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon. Verse 3, it came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah. Verse 4, now the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah. Verse 7, but the Lord said to me, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Verse 9, the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. It's the word of God that is doing the work, that when God speaks a word, just as he did in creation, let there be light. And by speaking that word, there was light. And so God speaks into the anxiety even before he was knit in his mother's womb and says, I am point you, Jeremiah, and you are going to speak my words. I'm going to put them in your mouth and you will be the one to preach to those who are going to be defeated. Now, this is the tricky thing about this passage. What applies to Jeremiah and what applies to you and me? Well, I think that we can look at Jeremiah here and realize that there is at least one call of certainty on our lives. And there's also one possible call on our lives. The certain call that all of us have on our lives is that we come into fellowship with God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a certainty. Each and every single one of us is being called to repentance and to come to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith through grace. That's a given to each and every single one of us, that that invitation goes out to all of us, that we are meant to be in relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. But hear how Paul describes it in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. Even as God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Does that sound familiar? Even before he chose us before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Do you realize that before the foundations of the world, God saw you? Remember the call of Nathaniel? When Philip says, I've met a man. He's the Messiah. And Nathaniel says, is there anything good that comes out of Nazareth? And when Jesus encounters him, Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree. I saw you before you even thought of me. 
I saw you. And in the same way, before the very foundations of the earth, God had you in mind of calling you into fellowship with him. And how significant ought it be to us that the very God of the universe, before he even formed the heavens and the earth, had you on his mind. And not just that, how he would rescue you in the Lord Jesus Christ, that in the fullness of time he sent his Son into the world in order that we might be delivered from sin and death. This is the call of salvation that is on all of our lives. And this call of salvation, however, like Jeremiah, is always with the call to serving him. That's the whole idea of Jesus being both our Savior and our Lord. When Jesus calls his first disciples, as he calls us, he says, come and follow me. It's not as if we have an initial encounter encounter with the Lord Jesus, Jesus and say, well, that was really nice. And then we walk away from it as a man walks away from a mirror and forgets what he looks like. No. We put down our nets. We put down whatever it is that is consuming our lives. And we follow after him. That's God's call on our lives. And his promise in Matthew 28... First, the command, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Come and follow me and go to the very ends of the earth. But the promise there is what? I am going to be with you until the very end of the age. I'm going to go before you. I'm going to be with you. Do not worry about what you're going to say when you go, because I'm going to put my words in your heart. This is the promise that God makes for Jeremiah and makes for us today. And so God is certainly calling each and every single one of us into fellowship with him. He sees you and knows you before you're even knit together in your mother's womb. And he calls you to fellowship in him through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a call to all of us. But there's a specific call that Jeremiah receives here that maybe some of you have received as well, but not all of us. And that is those of us who have been called to give ourselves wholly over to full-time gospel ministry. Sometimes we call it the call to preach. And we need more preachers who can say, as verse 6 tells us, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak. Can you imagine any preacher today saying, I have no idea what to say? You'd be a little bit anxious about them getting up into the pulpit, wouldn't you? And yet that's exactly what we want out of a preacher to say, I have no idea what to say to these people. Because the pulpit is not for the preacher. The pulpit is for the declaration of the word of God, of what God has done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. The pulpit is not there to show off oratorical skills, storytelling, to display a masterful grasp on world events, or to show cleverness. No, it's for speaking the word of God. And yet we lose sight of this. I was thinking about this this week as I wondered, what in the world am I going to say to these people? And I thought about it. What if at the communion table as we came here this morning and I said, you know what? We're going to chuck the bread and the wine out the window 
and substitute it with milk and cookies. You and your family would rightfully say, we're leaving and never coming back. Andrew is a complete idiot. He's lost it. And while I don't intend on doing that, and I've never ever heard of it happening, such things do happen in regard to the pulpit. It's where God's word is exchanged for human words. God's wisdom exchanged for human wisdom. And we've grown so accustomed to it that often we don't even see that instead of the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ being poured out in the pulpit, all we've been receiving is milk and cookies, and yet we're reluctant to say anything about it and say, that's nonsense. A mark of a faithful preacher is one who says, I don't know what to say. I have no words of my own. And when Jeremiah speaks the words that have been given to him, what does he receive? He receives derision. He's an object of scorn. He's told, you're arrogant. Who do you think you are to say such things? And God warns him of this and comforts him by saying in verse 8, do not be afraid of them. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Because that's exactly what happens when the word of God is poured out from a pulpit. St. Paul describes it as the aroma of Christ. To some, it is the smell of victory. And to others, it is the stench of death. And so if I have everybody coming up to me and saying, that was the most wonderful thing I've ever heard, I start to think, shoot. Which is strange, isn't it? Because I certainly like to hear that. I should also worry if everybody comes up to me and says, that was pretty terrible. Uh, But when the word of God is faithfully preached, we should expect some people to say, I saw Jesus in your sermon. He made himself known to me. We should also expect people to say, that's the most nauseating thing that I have ever heard and I never want to come back and hear you again. But if there were ever a time when we needed such preachers, it's now. It's now. And so if you're one of those who's called to this particular ministry of gospel preaching, uh, I can promise you a lot of heartache, (laughs) a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, and yet... Nothing more rewarding that is offered on the face of this earth than the privilege of coming and preaching God's word to his people, whether they want to hear it or not. It is an awesome privilege. And God is faithful to his promises that we ought not to be afraid and that he is certainly with us to deliver us, declares the Lord. And so what do we see in Jeremiah? We see two calls on our lives. The first one is a call on all of our lives, and that is that you're called into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, I pray that you turn to him and live, that the eyes of your hearts would be open, and that you would know what it means to know him as Savior and Lord, to follow in his ways and to serve him all the days of your life. And there may be some of us this morning that are called to full-time gospel ministry. And in spite of the fears and 
and the deficiencies in your own life, when you say, but I don't know what to say, I don't have the skills, you're exactly who God is looking for. For he will give you the words to speak for the good of his people and for the glory of his name. Let's pray. Uh, Oh God, uh, we thank you for your servant Jeremiah who was willing to preach in and out of season. And Lord, even in the midst of derision and scorn, uh, he called people to you. Uh, He held up to you your faithfulness, uh, but also uh, your justice uh, that would come. uh, And that rather than putting our trust in in the things of this world, that we would turn to you, Lord Jesus, and that we would hear your word. And not only that we would be hearers, but doers of it. And so, Lord, for those of us who don't know you this morning, uh, that we would come to know you, love you, and serve you all the days of our lives. And for those of us who do know you, Lord, that particular call that is on some of us to be gospel workers in a full-time capacity, we pray that you would move our hearts to speak to somebody else in the church and to say, even though I don't have the words to speak, that might be me. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.